welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summeroo. Hey everybody, this week I have back with me Thomas van der Castile. Recently, there has been a bit of news come out, which uh, I decided to get back in touch with Thomas uh, because I wanted to get him on to talk about it with me. It is super relevant for the team at AWell Health and excited to have him back. So hello, Thomas. Welcome. How are you doing? I'm great, James. Thanks for having me again. Great to talk to you. No problem. Um, thanks for coming on. So obviously, there has been an announcement about, uh, well, about Pathways. Obviously, uh, AWOL Health are very much in that game, and this seems like a really important announcement for you guys. So uh, tell me what's been going on. Yeah, well, this is basically a communication by the WHO that is moving away from paper guidelines into digital pathways. They, they call their efforts uh, an evolution towards smart guidelines. And what it basically comes down to is that they've obviously realized that the way that guidelines are published up till today, uh, mainly paper-based in, in, in PDFs, big, big chunks of texts describing how clinical management should be done for, for all of the medical conditions out there, doesn't work in practice. Uh, it creates implementation errors or difficult difficulties to implement them in clinical practice. It's difficult to update them to the latest evidence and, and much more implementation challenges. And they've seen that and they're now moving more towards these digital pathways, which is which is actually great news. Yeah, really great news. And I was reading a few articles on this and the thing the thing I think that struck me that reminded me very clearly of you guys because it wasn't that long that you were on the podcast to be honest so there and I'm reading it off the off the article now so their chief scientist has said the recommendations which obviously the who is is in the game of they become meaningful when they're lifted off the page and effectively applied to local systems and when they're aligned with an evolving evidence base and i think that's the thing you know i was a clinician and you, you see these guidelines on the wall on the notice board behind the nurse's station you, you have no idea how old those guidelines are you have no, the papers wrinkled it's got coffee stains on it you've just got no clue. So you're sort of afraid to use it almost. You don't know how updated your antibiotic guidelines are or anything like that. So you end up probably going to your phone and having a look. It seems like a really important step. These two different things, right? The localization of it, so it fits the area and the able to adapt to an evolving evidence base. So being digital, they can change. And I remember from our podcast, that's something that you guys have been you know, explaining for quite a while, right? Those two elements. Yeah, so let's let's dive into both and unpack them a bit. So first, the localization, and and actually, what's happening with with COVID nineteen is a fantastic example there. So what the WHO does, and 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 other guidelines organizations, because they're not alone, but other guideline organizations, they take scientific evidence and then they have to make a kind of abstraction that that works you know on on global level because this is a, a recommendation so there's a certain level of of uh, ab abstracting away stuff that is not relevant for for the local level for example the who will now say you know uh, you need to vaccinate people for covid-19 right what they mm. won't say is you need to use vaccine a b or c because depending on the country 
the availability of the vaccine will be different. So what the, what the WHO might say, you know, here, here's the list of all the vaccines that, that we think, you know, are fit for purpose. But then once you go into country level, then obviously it could be that vaccine A and B are not available, but, but you know, uh, C and D are available. And so Go there it's, it's, it's where you need to be able to adapt global recommendations to your local reality. And, and now the, the COVID-19 example is quite simple, but imagine everything that is related you know, you know, to local health systems and financing and availability yeah. of diagnostics and availability of, of you know, imaging uh, devices and, 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 and medication, etc. So it's basically a myriad of options that might so be that's available. that's a really in interesting in point. That is so interesting because as, as I thought about it then, you know, from a clinician's point of view, I was m- merely just thinking about the changes, you know, per region, per localization, just based on, I suppose, local evidence and local pathology and, and things like that. Whereas, and, and, you know, the amount of cases of a certain thing, a certain hospital or antibiotic resistance in that area and, and sort of more down that clinical route. But what you, what you've just said is super interesting. The fact that obviously you can lo- the localization element has to include so much more, especially when you think globally, as you say, even availability of certain things, but I suppose in the, in, in the wealthier countries, more to do with, uh economic models and and you know as, as you've just said the financial side of things yeah hadn't hadn't actually thought of that yeah and so if you for example to keep in the COVID-19 space if you look at the document that was published by the WHO uh I think that the document that is on their website right now still dates from May 27 2020 Whoa. Right, we, because we'll, we'll go into the evolving evidence part in a second. But if you go to, to that document, it's a 30-page it's a document that describes in text what, what clinical management of COVID-19 should be. So imagine a care team in two different countries downloading that PDF and then, yeah. and then copying that text into potentially one of their own you know, document or word processors that they use and then and then starting to adapt sections and say, oh, okay, this is not relevant for us. Here, we're going to add another section, etc." That's just, that's 1999, right? Um, we, have, we have to have different systems for one of the most important, you know, uh, processes in, in the world being, you know, how, how evidence comes, comes implemented into clinical practice. Wow. No, I, t- I yeah, it's just something that hadn't really struck me before. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I suppose the potential then is that you you end up with a local system that is that is much more confident of its implementation of the right pathways. And I suppose it's it's a positive reinforcement loop then, obviously, isn't it? Because people become more confident in using the pathways when they end up being the right things to do and. I suppose the positivity breeds the positivity then and, and everybody gets confidence in it, which is where I can kind of see this going. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the objective basically of guideline organizations like the WHO is to, to avoid unintended variability in care, right? Through these guidelines, they want to avoid that things are being done to patients that, that, that are clearly against evidence. Most, yes. most clear example is, you know, um, wash your hands before inspecting a wound, right? We, th- yes. That's that's now common knowledge, right? It's like gravity; we all know that that it exists and and it's there. But but it it wasn't a couple hundred years ago, right? Mm. And so on a daily basis, 
there is new evidence that is not yet known to the people on the ground. And so the WHO, its objective is to say, hey, you know, we know that this evidence exists and we, we want to avoid that this unintended variability mm. takes place. Now, on the other hand, what you want is that these local teams who have you know, uh, their own expertise, their own ideas, they, they're creative and inventive. I mean, there's, there's, there's fabulous potential on a local level to find better, more efficient ways to treating patients. And again, COVID-19 is a fabulous example. I've seen, I've seen dozens of articles and publications, probably even hundreds, of uh, new, new ways of clinical management for COVID-19 in the last couple of months. And almost none of them were implemented by the, by the WHO in, in, in the official guidelines because that, that feedback cycle is, is broken. Right. Well, yeah, because practically um, they'd have to receive the information, change or go through all of the processing to actually uh, change it in their minds, then change it physically on all of those pieces of paper that exist. So people need to print it all out. I get, you know, it, it, practically speaking, it's a nightmare. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And 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 that's that's probably one of the biggest. One of the biggest positive implications of, of what the WHO is, is trying to do here. It's by, by going towards these smart guidelines, they're actually opening up, as I see it, the door towards bringing in more of that bottom-up insights, bottom-up you know, ways that care teams have found out that bring better outcomes mm. to patients or which are more efficient, uh, more efficient processes to deliver the same outcomes and then and then bring that back up to the to the level of the WHO and then to 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 put these into the then again the global recommendations. Yeah. And let's just stay on that for a second because obviously the first thing was the localization element. And we're talking now about the evolving the evolving evidence base and how quickly you can then change the guidelines. But interesting what you said there, sort of almost in my mind again, redefining what evolving evidence base means. Like yes you can do a randomized controlled trial and get new evidence that things are working and you can update the guidance and with it being digital that can happen quicker now and people can get that information quicker now that's one thing but again interesting what you said there about a local care team just figuring out that something in the way that they change how they do what they do that is enough evidence to change what they believe is the right pathway for them. So sort of mixing both, it's, it's, it's the evolving evidence base of their practice, but again, at super local level. Obviously, the, the World Health Organization isn't able to you know, change on their behalf, but I'm, it seems to me like that's where AWOL steps in, right? Because if, if, they're on, uh, if, if they're on AWOL's platforms, that's what they're able to do. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's there's two things here. One one is that the the rate of publication of, of scientific evidence is 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 outpacing every every brain's capacity to understand those publications. Right? There's mm. it's it's really hard to keep up with all of the evidence that's being published, whether that's within COVID nineteen or or basically any any medical field. So so you need a software, a system that allows you to continuously update these pathways basically with with the evolving evidence that's being published and so that's indeed where able comes in by by really allowing the the, the, the rapid updating mm. of, of these pathways which then downstream enables clinicians to just basically update their pathway with with the latest evidence see, check check if that locally 
is indeed what they want and then say, you know, it's, it's, it's almost as a checklist that they say, yes, I, I want update one, two, three, but I don't want four and five because they're, yeah. not, they're not applicable to my local reality. So that's, that's one part with evolving evidence. And the other part is what I, what I mentioned previously and which you picked up on is that even with the brightest minds, uh, the WHO will, will not be as smart as, as the wisdom of the crowds, right? Yeah. The wisdom of the crowds is these hundreds, thousands of care teams that, that, are, that are experts at what they do. And so what we've been advocating is that the WHO and other guideline organizations, they should find other channels than just the randomized clinical trials to bring these best practices and, and this evidence from the workflow into into these uh, recommendations and and that's that's to me the other part of the evolving evidence based yeah because i was going to ask you actually because i did think you guys when i read this so is this good news or bad news for awa no so this is this is great news because on the one hand it is a confirmation of something that we've been saying all along that these these text based guidelines will not will just not cut it going forward and on the other hand even if they would, you know, build an AWOL of themselves, that would just make all of the organizations worldwide more more aware of the of the mm. fact that these that these solutions exist, right? And then and then basically it's up to the market to, you know, to choose the the, the, the best application. Now they're now they're, they are not building an AWOL, right? Um, they're <laughs> basically building what what they call these smart guidelines and smart stands for, and I'm reading this off of their uh, announcement, is standards-based, machine-readable, adaptive, requirements-based, and testable guidelines, right? So what they're actually doing is moving away from paper into a format that is usable by us so that we can much more quickly bring that into an implementable pathway at local level and then allowing our care teams to to adapt them to their local needs. So they're actually doing part of the work for us, which is is great. (laughs) Awesome. Exactly. Because as you say, they're getting those organizations ready to to cope with digital pathways and to be able to uh, utilize them, which is cool. Do you guys work with guideline organizations? Do you have a way of working with them? Absolutely. So we are already working with guideline organizations today because they have also experienced the the, the problems with text-based and, and static guidelines. And they, 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 they've actually seen exactly the same thing as the WHO. So we are already working with them and making sure that the evidence curation that they are doing leads to faster and better implementation for the for the members of those organizations so uh we're very open to working with more organizations like that as well so the world health organization have obviously started in antenatal care so they've done this on you know all things considered quite a small scale i'm interested because because you guys are obviously cross uh, condition, I guess you could call it. So you could sort of build pathways or anything. Is is it difficult for the World World Health Organization to do that across all pathways? It must be seemingly if they can only do one at a time. Yeah. So our approach to this has been from the beginning to build a platform that can support care pathways, clinical protocols, uh, care programs, whatever you want to call it for for any medical condition. So we are really agnostic to. To medical condition, obviously the WHO they have to start somewhere, mm. uh, which is which is great. Um, but basically, uh, our problem is our platform is not a uh, not 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 a blocker for any any medical condition that you would want to create guidelines or or, or uh, pathways for. 
Cool. So Thomas, it's been awesome having you back on. Good news from the sounds of it for patients worldwide, for the World Health Organization, for organizations such as AWOL, for basically everybody involved. Moving Pathways Digital seems like a very good idea. Something, as I say, that you've been uh, saying for quite a while. Any final thoughts on this news? Well, maybe final thoughts. So this is absolutely great that the WHO uh, is taking this step. Now, who, who it is particularly great for is all of those local teams who are putting efforts today in rethinking, redesigning their care processes and who, who, for whom it now becomes more easily thanks to this and, and, and basically the ABLE platform to, to co-create and collaborate, work together on, you know, deliver better outcomes at a, at, at, at a lower cost for their patients. So I think the, 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 biggest, the biggest point here is that for those care teams, that's, uh, this is really great news. Awesome. So for those organizations that are looking to turn their pathways digital, have a look at what the World Health Organization has just done. And you can also get in touch with Thomas at AOL Gnostic. The uh, contact details for Thomas and the link to the article on the World Health Organization in the description of this episode. Thomas, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure again. Pleasure, James. Uh, have a great day. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.